every time I step in the booth, I speak the truth. Y'all know what I'm bringing to you. I bring the truth. Y'all know who I be. I be the truth. What I speak sell set you free. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Seth Joyner Podcast. Man, we have got a show for you today. Got the Philadelphia legend, iconic Charles Barkley, no holes barred, great no chaser with, with us today. And um, I'm looking forward to it. Let me bring in my co-host, Andrew DiCecco. Andrew, how you doing today, my friend? Seth, all great to be good. back with you again. How's everything on your end? Hey, all's good, man. Well, like you said, we got a lot to get into today. So I wanted to circle back to a topic we touched on last week regarding the Eagles' need for to add another running back to complement Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. Now, I want to hear you some of your feelings on a possible Philly reunion for LaShawn McCoy. Um, on Tuesday, uh, LaShawn McCoy was a guest on uh, Rap Sheet and Friends podcast, and he expressed his interest in returning to Philadelphia. Um, when we mentioned running backs last week, I neglected to mention McCoy for a number of reasons. He'll be 32 years old by the time training camp starts. Kansas City actually de- deactivated him for the Super Bowl. And his running style doesn't necessarily fit the Eagles' knees right now. He just lost Jordan Howard. You kind of need that between the tackles, battering ram to kind of get that job done and get those tough yards. He's done a lot for the Eagles, 6,792 uh, 6, yards. I would love to see the Philadelphia Eagles bring LaShawn McCoy back. I think he would fit in, you know, in a good way because, you know, he's going to be a role player with Miles being the main guy. I'm just not so sure with the injuries that he's had over the last couple of years, his age and how he's mandate, you know, that we get younger, that there's actually a fit here. You know, I mean, I, I think everybody in Philadelphia would love to see number 25 back in Eagles green. But to be honest with you, I, I'm not so sure that I see that happening. Yeah. All right. And joining us now is my good friend, Philly icon, NBA Hall of Famer, Charles Barkley. Charles, how you doing, my brother? Man, I'm good. I'm just bored to death. Uh, but, you know, other than that, I just wish everybody keep a social distance. Everybody's healthy, but uh, it's been very interesting, to say the least. Well, most important to me, you had a scare earlier. How are you feeling? How are you doing? How's your family doing? Man, we're good. I'm good. You know, I had, listen, I didn't feel like I had the virus. I felt like I was just tired and wasn't feeling well one day. But, you know, I quarantined myself. Uh, unfortunately, it, it took like 10 days to get the results back, so I thought I was going to go crazy. Uh, but I'm glad I don't have it. And uh, listen, I, I'm good to go now, my brother. All good. Well, let's get into some stuff here. First of all, people want to know, I want to know from you, talk to our followers and our listeners about what it's like being an icon, a superstar, playing in the city of Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think Philadelphia is a great city. I think it's a great sports city. Uh, but when you're not doing well in Philadelphia, man, it's very difficult. Um, they it's a, they demand a lot out of you. You can't be a slacker. You can't be – you got to give maximum effort all the time. You don't have to win the championship, but you have to give maximum effort. And I think it's easy for a star because you feel that pressure – but man, if you're a role player and you're not doing well, I can I played with some guys who could not handle the pressure of playing in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is not for everybody. But I love Philadelphia. Like I say, it's a great, it's right up there with Boston, New York, LA, Chicago, 
as far as some of the great sports fans and great and, and the great just sports things in the world. They have all the major sports. It's really awesome to have all the major college basketball they got going on there. When I got to Philadelphia in 1984, you know, we had the Big Five. And that was really one of the coolest things I've ever did in my life from a basketball standpoint. Well, you know, thinking about Philly and some of the players that's played through Philly, there's some talk. You know, we brought one of our native sons back as far as the Eagles are concerned and Deshaun Jackson. Now there's talk that we may bring back LaShawn McCoy. I don't know how real that is. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I'd like to see him finish his career in Philly. You know, he got a Super Bowl ring last year. You know, I think they treated him great in Philly. I think he got caught in that BS with um, Chip Kelly. And, you know, you know, Seth, it's so funny. You know, we all play with guys we don't like. And Bill and Bill Cowher, who I've got to know through my CBS affiliation, he said something to me one time. We were talking about Chip Kelly. He says, Chip Kelly's got to learn. You don't have to like all your players. You got to check your ego at the door when you're a player or a coach. There's plenty of guys, not plenty, I shouldn't say that, but there's a couple guys who I just didn't see eye to eye with, but we had to play together. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's coaches I didn't see eye to eye with, and I think it would be a great way for LaShawn to finish up and come back to Philly. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Now let's, let's move on to some NBA stuff. And, you know, this is your wheelhouse. Love what you guys do, the dynamic that you guys have at TNT. Um, with this COVID-19 thing, what's your prospects for the NBA moving forward? I mean, could this possibly be the first NBA season in history where you just don't have an NBA champion? You know, self, that's the, uh, I don't think anybody know the answer to that question on, on, on basketball or hockey, you know, you know, our commissioner, who's amazing, he said something. He said, hey, guys, I'm not going to talk about this every single day. We're going to wait to May the 1st. The government has told us the next two to three weeks are going to be the worst of this COVID thing. Let's get together May the 1st and talk about this stuff. I don't think anybody knows. And, it's, you, know, and you know, you got these clowns on television trying to throw stuff out there. They're like, well, they're going to sequester the teams for – for two months in Vegas and one in Florida and play. I'm like, first of, all, first of all, you can't do that. I don't think you can do that personally. I don't think these guys want to be away from their families for two months. Uh, you know, because you can't go anywhere. You would have to stay in the hotel because if you go out to dinner, there's a chance you could catch this, this COVID. Also, you got to worry about every single person in the hotel, what they're doing when they leave. Uh, so it's, it's so much stuff out there right now. This might be the first season we just don't have uh, an NBA champion because I don't even see how it's even possible to even consider bringing fans back into it. I mean, football is a totally different animal. They got 65, 70,000 fans. Some of these colleges got 100,000. You know, how do we check 18,000 NBA fans before they can come into the billing again? I just think nobody really knows the answer to these questions. And we can all guess, but the best case scenario, maybe for hockey and basketball, is just don't try to resume this thing in the next month or so. Because, Seth, 
you know, football to me, you know, football and boxing are my two favorite sports because I think, I think it takes real men to play those two sports. I don't understand how you could actually play a football game. It's, it's mentally taxing and physically taxing as it is. You know, the crowd means a great deal. I don't know how you could motivate yourself to play a football game. I mean, yeah, there's some internal stuff that goes on. But the cheer of the crowd, the booing of the crowd helps you too. I tell people, sometimes I'm on the road, some guy giving it to me. That motivates me even more. So mm. I don't know how we're going to do this thing without fans. It's going to be very interesting. But I don't think anybody knows the answer to whether we're going to play basketball or hockey. I think football is probably – in the, in the best shape because they don't play until really into September, which is quite a bit of ways away. But basketball and hockey and even baseball, uh, I think we're just in no man's land and nobody really knows the answer. I mean, I think when you put it like that, you, I think all sports then falls unto, uh, in that in that category because I think the world that we used to live in has now changed. It's changed massively. Okay, so even if we get to September and you got some people that may have it, you know, that are asymptomatic, you have some people that had it that recovered and you got some people that don't even know that they have it. Okay, so you mean to tell me you're going to fill a 70, 80, 100,000, you know, capacity stadium with all of these fans and football players on the field? I mean, has Sports changed. I mean, I I read somewhere where a guy said that, you know, sports are done. We're never going to have sports the way we used to have it before. I mean, what's your opinion as far as that's concerned? Well, I, I think until we answer the crowd situation with a vaccine and things like that, I don't. I agree with my man. I don't think it can ever be the same. How, can you imagine how long would you have to stand in line? First of all, you can't stand close together. And let's just take the NBA. I don't even want to think about the NFL where you got 75,000 fans. How long would it take 17, 18,000 people to stand in line to get tested? I mean, you got to show up at noon. I mean, I, I agree with him. I don't think sports, unless until they come up with a vaccine, uh, I don't think sports are ever going to be the same again. Because I just think it's unrealistic to say, okay, how are we going to test 20,000 people in the next five hours so they can go into a stadium and breathe and shake hands and stand, sit sit two inches away from each other in some of these arenas. So I, I just think, I really, listen, you know, you got all these guys who want to act like they're smart. I think at this point, nobody has any idea, clue, how sports are going to resume again. Wow. Wow. I mean, the world, the world that we live in is definitely changing. And I don't, you know, people are talking about, you know, getting back to normal. I don't see, you know, us ever being normal again, you know, because even after we come out of this, you still gonna have people walking around with gloves on and masks on because the fear is just so over the top, you know, that most people in society are just not going to be able to move past this thing out of fear. Well, you know, also, Seth, this is thing. This thing is going to be devastating for a lot of people. Uh, what I mean by that is, some of these restaurants are never going to open again. Uh, you know, a lot of these small businesses are never going to open again, and then a lot of these restaurants are going to get a double gut punch because what's going to happen also is, 
even when we quote unquote get back to normal, nobody's gonna have any money to go out and eat. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I tell people like all these restaurants are closed down now. I've been trying to eat out a couple nights a week, picking up stuff just to try to help the people out. Because I go to the, to the same places all the time, but a lot of these businesses are never gonna open up again. But like I say, what's gonna be bad for the restaurant industry is people ain't gonna have any money to go out and eat, so they're gonna get hit twice in the gut with whatever going on now with this quarantine but also when all these businesses open back up all these people who've been laid off uh and not working they're not going to be able to go out they're not going to have that discretionary income so man this thing to i tell people man i i ain't worried about the nba the nhl college football pro football i really feel sadness for all these people out here who got like real jobs. I mean, these, these like I say, this thing is going to get a lot worse from an economic standpoint for some of these people. I mean, and, and it's just, and the thing is, it's just sad because we've never had anything happen like this in our lifetime. And I just feel utter sadness for a bunch of people. Well, I'm hopeful, you know, and I'm prayerful that, you know, we can, figure out a way, you know, this great nation can figure out a way to rectify some of these issues. You know, they're, they're tremendous. But one thing about America, one thing we do is when, you know, we've had tragedy and we've, you know, circumstances like one thing that pull together and shows our true strength. Um, going back to the basketball side, um, there's some rumors about Embiid and Simmons, you know, trade scenarios and possibilities. Um, from your perspective, should the Sixers keep these two guys? Should they move on from these two guys? What you know? What's your prospect for the team moving forward? You know, Seth, it's interesting. You know, both of us in the in the in the, in the bullshit business are talking about sports on radio and TV, and I think sometimes a lot of guys get full of themselves and act like they're experts. Listen, I can honestly say I think the Sixers were a, a dribble away from winning the championship last year. You think about it, with with the injuries to the Golden State Warriors, if that ball that Kawhi Leonard shot don't bounce on the rim three or four times, the Sixers probably win the championship. I truly believe that. They would have been favored against, uh, against the Warriors. Listen, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are like 25 and 26 years old. Seth, you've been around a long time. Unfortunately, with the talk radio and talk TV, a quarterback is a bust after one year now. <laughs> and, you know, think about this. When we played, they'd be saying, Troy was a bum. I think Peyton Manning was like 2-13. and 13, and, uh, and they'd be like, oh, Peyton Manning would be a bum. But unfortunately, we got all these fools, and I'm part of TV every morning, or we got some column we got to write. I'm not going to write the Sixers off. I picked the Sixers to win the East this year. They've had a bunch of injuries. That's really, really unfortunate. But I think Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are probably in the top 10 to 15 players in the NBA. I mean, you think about this, Seth. Okay, look at this here. Okay, the Lakers and the Clippers are probably the two best teams in the NBA. You got Kawhi and Paul George. They're comparable to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I'm not sure who I would pick if they played each other in the seven-game series. 
You got Anthony Davis and LeBron. That's a heck of a series with Ben and LeBron, Ben against LeBron and Anthony Davis against Embiid. Now you come to the Eastern Conference, they got, uh, other than Giannis, they probably going to have the two best players in every series. But like I say, unfortunately, we in this, this thing now where guys get on TV and it's only been a couple – these guys only been together a couple years. And I would not trade either one of them. Like, I would hold them more accountable because Ben's got to learn how to shoot the ball and Joel has got to get himself in better condition. And that's the only thing I would change about the Sixers. Hold those – you know, because you said – we we they don't have coaches like Buddy Ryan and Billy Cunningham like me and you did back in the day. Right. Who like no, you're gonna do this shit our way. You're gonna play hard. Like today, these coaches are so afraid of these players because listen, they the players. I tell all my friends who are coaches, you better hold these players accountable because you know who's gonna get fired. You. We don't fire players. We fire coaches. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I'm sure about Buddy Ryan, have I said this before, he's my favorite coach of all time because the players loved him. Because any coach who's honest with you, because, you know, Seth, nobody tells the truth in sports. I mean, <laughs> and when you get a coach who tells the truth, he's like solid gold. And Billy Cunningham was the same way with me. Uh, but today these coaches are so afraid of these kids and they don't hold them accountable and they're going to get fired if they don't hold them accountable. I don't understand what they're afraid of. If I'm going to get fired, I'm going to get fired my way. Well, I think a lot of it you have to look at, you know, how ownership views the situation. You know, just so comical nowadays. Ball, you got guaranteed contracts. The minute you sign your name on that sheet, you sign that contract, you're going to get every penny of that money, come hell or come high water. The problem is for an owner, you got a player making $25 million a year and you got a coach making $6 million. So you're not going to get rid of the player, get rid of the coach. And you're 100% correct, but I'm going to tell you something as a coach. If you let the players run your team, you're not going to win. Seth, so you've been around – I've been in the NBA since 1984 – and the one thing I know about good players and great players, they will listen to their coach. And you see some head cases who won't listen to anybody. Those teams very seldom win. I mean, I like I say, I've been in this thing since 1984. I don't think I, – I, 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 I'm talking a little bit out of my behind right now, but I'm trying to think. I don't remember a team full of jackasses ever winning an NBA championship. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, you think about, you remember when, uh, you know, so, you know, I'm a big Eagles fan. You remember, I forget, when all those guys came to town, they said they had the dream team. Yes. Uh, They didn't win nothing. I don't even think they made the playoffs. You look at those clowns in Cleveland last year. Everybody tell them how great they are. They ain't going to listen to nobody. They didn't even come close to making the playoffs. The one thing, and that's what I called the Sixers earlier this year. I told the Sixers, I'm like, yo, man, just because people tell y'all, I, I call I call the Sixers. I said, they are the Cleveland Browns of the NBA. They want everybody to tell them how good they are, but they don't want to put in the work and the effort. And you know, Seth, that ain't the way this thing works, man. Sports are hard. Sports are a hard job. It's a glamorous job, 
but there's no easy way to be successful. I admire any player who makes it to the NFL or to the NBA, but you ain't going to stay there unless you work your ass off, plain and simple. Now, I think the issue is because, you know, we're talking about millennials, okay? And I know in football, you know, for the sake of safety, a lot of rules have changed. But to me, you know, anytime that you have an adjustment injury, say the concussion, always an overcorrection. So now you got guys that don't work as hard as we used to, okay? And it shows in the performance on the field, the level of play. When you think about the millennials of today and how they've softened everything up and the rule off and everything up, hockey, basketball, football, they got no more mentality in the NBA anymore. Um, has that millennial the game to be where it is today, coupled with the fact that the money is so much more astronomical than it used to be, you know, a guy signs a contract is guaranteed. He knows he's going to get all that money. So now if you're not motivated by greatness, if you're not motivated to be a champion, now all of a sudden you're in a situation where guys just mail it in. Well, see, that's what drives me crazy. You know, and what's really interesting about what you just said is, wait a minute, you how can you make the game softer and get and then give them more money? That's the thing that drives me crazy. It's like, wait, I understand y'all got to make some changes, but if you're going to make it easier and then give them more money, unless you got a special player who wants to be great, that's going to be more conducive to guys worried about their brand, guys worried about playing longer. You know, we got these guys, I'm like, wait a minute. Moses Malone played three games in a row in Chuck Taylor Converse and rode the train and the bus. Dr. J, Wilt, Kareem, Bill Russell, those guys all flew commercial. Now these guys got the best medical. They got the best shoes. They don't even want to play back-to-back games. And I'm like, wait, y'all can't play two days of basketball in a row. We fly, we fly private. You got the best shoes. I mean, you got everything, and you're making $35, $40 million a year. How in the world can you be soft? That's the thing that drives me crazy. Well, they're they're soft because they're allowed to be that way. And then I think it's reflected in the coaches because the coaches are afraid that if they push the envelope, if they make them work hard the way we used to work hard, that the players are going to rebel. And if you get the players players to rebel, then what winds up happening is – you know, the coach loses the team. When the owner sees that the coaches or the GM sees that the coaches lost the team, it's time to fire the coach. You're 100% correct. But what I think happened was I think the owners and the coaches all kind of lost perspective because the players, you know, they're going to do what they do. But I think what happened with the owners and the the coaches, I think it's all sports, not just NBA. I should say everybody started making so much money they forgot about what was important about just wanting to do like, I got the best job in the world. I play, I I play a sport and I make, I make more money than somebody going to make in a whole year in one paycheck. And I think everybody started making so much money. They forgot what was important and significant. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I know you were, um, 
I certainly would. Well, you know what? Because see, to to me, I think the difference is now they just okay, okay. Like we're getting an example now. After three or four years, they give you a hundred and some million dollars. Like you just got to get through your rookie contract. Like when we got through our rookie contract, they're like, okay, we'll give you a few more years, but not a hundred million. I mean, I understand inflation, all that other stuff. But if I'm a, a young player today, I'm gonna do my job the first couple years and stick in there and do my job and then they're going to give me 150 160 close to 200 million dollars then i'm financially set for life and unless i'm personally motivated and and listen we can all say the same thing everybody's not personally motivated so if you know that some guys like the lifestyle you know some guys worried about their brand but unless you self-motivated uh, it can make for a very sticky situation for the owner and the coach. Mm. Well, listen, I got a I got a call on the line that's got a question for you. Frank, are you there? Hey, Seth, Charles, you guys are the reason I became a Sixers fan and Boyer on defense is the reason I became an Eagles fan. But my question is this, and it kind of goes with what you guys were just saying. If, Charles, take any athlete in Philadelphia, if you could put your attitude and work ethic into kind of becoming the best of your craft, who would it be? And you can't I can't say, say who. And Joel oh, because I was damn sure getting ready to say that. <laughs> um, I know that. No, Charles, I would say <laughs> go ahead and say Embiid if you want to. Because because you know, I'm a... it, it, Okay, let me tell you something. Even if you take Embiid off the table, I would say Ben Simmons. Because, listen, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, there's not 10 better players in the world than those two guys. Now it just depends. One of them's got to work on his game, and those have just got to get in shape and stay in shape. But there's not 10. Listen, you can ask anybody who does basketball for a living. There's not 10 better basketball players than Joel Embiid than Ben Simmons in the NBA, period. Okay. I Listen, I agree. I think at the other end of the spectrum, and I know that I've heard all that you said about Embiid, I agree wholeheartedly. My issue with um, with Ben Simmons is that there's no denying his talent level, okay? In transition, when he's got a guy one-on-one, he got a small, a small guard that's guarding him. He can post him up. But my thing is when you got the ball at the point and you standing at the three-point line and the guy that's guarding you is standing on the free throw line, your reluctance to take that shot, okay, how much greater is this kid going to be and how much more is his confidence going to soar when he gets a shot? You got to take that shot. You can't be afraid to take that shot, you know? So my thing is, it's one thing to understand, you know, your strengths, but as an athlete, you know, to become complete, you got to identify, and he knows, you got to identify what your weaknesses are and go to work on that because once he gets that, there's no stopping him. Well, first of all, you're 100% correct. You know, we had an argument on our show uh, last year, not even this year, talking about Ben Simmons. And Shaq said he's a great player. And I said, no, he's an all-star and a good player. Kenneth says Chuck Chuck is right. He's an all-star and a good player. Unless he learned how to shoot, he can't be a great player. That's my. That would be my first point. But, Seth, my question to you would be, they just gave him $150 million. Like, if they gave me $150 million, I'm not sure how hard I'll be working on my game either. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I, and, and, and you know the thing that's scary. In about five or six years, he's gonna get two hundred million. Well, you know what? Listen, I, I hear these guys. We never, we never talked about it openly. But these guys today in the world of sports, they talk about it openly. They talk about legacy. Okay, so do you want to be known as a guy that was a a good player, an all star, but who can never shoot? No matter how much money you make, you know, every athlete on the inside thinks about legacy. But these guys talk about it outwardly, you know. So if he's going to be the complete player, the best player that he can be, okay, doesn't legacy, you know, come into focus for him and him saying to himself, now, and we've seen him shoot. We know he can shoot. What is it that keeps him from taking those shots? Is he really that afraid of missing when you've got the most dominant big man in the game standing under the basket to collect your rebounds? Absolutely, he's scared. i tell you this story. You know, for the last couple summers, you know, so, you know, I live in Philly during the summer. And so last summer, they would show all these videotapes of Ben shooting jumpers. And I'm like, oh, Ben's been working on his jumper. And then the season started, he didn't shoot jumpers. So then I'm in Philly this summer. And the second day of training camp, me and Billy Cunningham, who's like a mentor to me, we go down and watch the Sixers scrimmage. They scrimmage for two hours. Me and Billy look at each other after two hours. He says, did Ben Simmons shoot any jump shots in the last two hours? He didn't shoot not one jumper in two hours. So, and, and listen, that's why I think the coach needs to really step up, Seth. I think, I think Brett Brown was the real – I think Brett Brown needs to step up on two fronts. He needs to force him. I would stop practice every day that Ben Simmons turned down a wide-open jumper and make him start to play over. I would do it. He'd be so damn mad at me. I said, start to play over. You were wide open. He didn't shoot a jumper. And then I would get on Joel. I said, Joel, you got to get in shape. You got, you got a chance of being the best big man in the NBA. But until you get yourself in great shape, you're not going to be the best big man. But the thing is, you're also going to keep getting hurt. Because, Seth, you know, if you're not in shape, that's when you get hurt. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. When I watch, every time I watch him, Running up and down the court, I think to myself, man, that dude right there can stand to lose about 20 pounds and get into shape. And no one, he's not going to lose any strength. He's not going to lose any any mass. Just, you know, get yourself in shape so you can play, you know, 48 minutes every single night or however many, you know, 40 minutes. Well, you, you know, you, but you're, you're, you know, self, and, and I'm, I'm not just talking out of my ass either because I'm speaking from firsthand knowledge. I've told this story. And I tell it to any people, anytime I'm talking to high school kids or college kids or NBA guys, I says, when I got to Philadelphia in 1984, I weighed about 295 pounds. And I was a number five pick in the draft, and I wasn't getting to play. And Moses, who's like a dad to me, I call him dad. Even to the day he died, I call him dad. I said, Moses, can I come see you after practice? Because we lived in the same building. And I remember going up to the penthouse, and I said, Moses, why am I not getting to play? And Moses, you're fat and you lazy. And I said, what? He's a Charles. He's a Charles. <laughs> you, you, you fat and you lazy. <laughs> and this guy, who was already one of the greatest ever, said, Charles, you're only lazy because you're fat. He said, you can't play at 295 in the NBA. And this guy, one of the greatest ever, met me every morning, every night. He said, let's get to 290. He got me to 280. And then at that point, I'm starting to get to play a little bit. He gets me to 270. 
He gets me to 260. He gets me to 250, 240, but I don't have a lot of strength and uh, power. He says 250 is your perfect weight. And I wonder who are on the Sixers who would tell Joel, like, yo, man, you got to get your fat ass in shape. I had Moses, and I've said this before. He's the most important person because I don't know if I, if I didn't have Moses, I don't know if I would have lost 50 pounds. Uh, but he was like a father to me, and I listened to him. And I wonder sometime with Joel, because, you know, Ben is a, is, is a nice guy. Uh, Brett Brown is a nice guy. I wonder on, who on the team can be the bad cop. Uh, and, and that's the only thing that concerns me with the Sixers because the Sixers got enough talent. Uh, the Sixers actually had enough talent the last two years. Like I told you, I think last year Kawhi was on a mission, and if he don't make that shot, I think the Sixers win the whole thing. But they would have been favored against the, the, the Warriors with all the injuries they had. But And I picked them to come out of the East this year, and, and they've been disappointing me for this year so far. Well, I, I'll tell you this, you know, Buddy Ryan used to always say this. He was like, you got to get in shape. He said, because fatigue will make a coward out of you. Man, he, that man used to run us after every practice. And I never understood it until I got in shape. Because when I got drafted, I was 255. I was too big to actually play outside linebacker at 255. And he made me get down to about 240, between 240 and 245. And it made a world of difference for me. A world of difference. But you talk about being in shape. I mean, if you can't, if you're not in shape, you can't do what it is that you want to do because your mind will not allow your body to do the things that you trained it to do. Because the minute you get tired, you ain't no. going 100%. You, you, can't. you, you, you know, can't. Seth, that was the thing. Like, even when Moses got me down to 280, I noticed a difference and I started getting to play. Like, like I say, I started about 295. But like I said, once I got to 280, I'm like, oh, man, because you can't work hard if you're out of shape. I used to tell Oliver Miller that you can't work hard if you're out of shape because everybody gets tired. But until you get in shape, you cannot work hard. And then you realize, like, man, this is really easy once I get my fat ass in shape. I, you know, the thing that perplexes me, you know, you would be the perfect candidate to be a mentor for Joel Embiid. Why haven't the Sixers called you? Well, because to do that? Joel Embiid, every time I do my job on TV, he goes crazy and says something bad about me. Like, like you know, Seth, I never. First of all, I want the Sixers to win. The Sixers are my team. Uh, I, I, no matter how much success I had in Phoenix, I consider myself a Philadelphia 76ers. I want the 76ers to do great. But when I got to do my job, uh. You know, he gets so upset, but I'm going to do my job. I'd rather, you know, I want to be friends. I mean, we ain't got to be friends. I'm a lot older than him. I want to respect him and admire him, but I'm going to do my job. And until he get until well, Ben gets his jump shot worked out and until Joel gets himself in great shape, the Sixers are not going to be successful. Yeah, listen, I, I'll say this. You know, I, I, can sympath, I can sympathize with where you are because – even though I played for the Cardinals and the Packers and the Broncos, you know, I'm a, I'm a Philadelphia Eagle through and through. There's just no, no denying that. Okay. But I get paid to do a job on Sunday to analyze the team. The team might not like what I say. Sometimes the players might not like what I say. Okay. But as an analyst, 
that's what I get paid to do is analyze what I see based upon my experience in the game. So I understand what you're saying, but at some point you got to, you know, you got to put your pride aside and ask yourself, what do I have to do to do what's best for me to be successful? And if I got to put my pride aside and ask somebody for help, even somebody, because even if you ask for help, that person's always going to be critical of you. You're not, it's not a personal thing between you and Joel and B. What you're saying is the truth. And why can't he and why can't the Sixers organization see that and understand the benefit that they can reap from that for him? Yeah, because like I say, these teams, they have to walk around on eggshells with these players today. Because like I say, when you give a guy $150 million, when you give a guy $170 million, you like you he's your guy. <laughs> you know, you got to like instead of saying and I, I never understand how these players consider criticism. Like, I'm not criticizing you, I'm coaching you. Like I learned that from going back to Billy Cunningham. He said, Hey, I'm not here to criticize you, I'm here to coach you. And Billy, who was great for me, he told me, he says, You're not playing until you get in shape. And like I said, I was fortunate that Moses got me in shape. But like I say, these guys today, man. You know, one of the worst things, I, you know, I hate that AAU crap. I hate AAU. And these guys have been getting babied from such a long time, Seth. You know, they didn't ba- – like, can you remember – you can't imagine getting babied in high school. Uh, come on. These guys have been babied since yeah. they were in high school, and now they only go to college for one year. And, and the coach ain't coaching them in college because he's like, if, I, if I'm too hard on him – Number one, we're going to get around, but I'm only going to have it for one year. Like, I'm on, you know, I'm going to just kind of, okay, I'm going to have to tolerate him for a year. Maybe we win this thing, but we're going to get a lot of exposure. We're going to have a pretty good team. So, like I say, the coaches, unless you Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, uh, Bill Self, Izzo, or somebody like that, you're at the mercy of these players. Hey, Seth, we got Tom on the line from Downingtown. I'm good. I, uh, I got a question. So, if you played in the NFL instead of the NBA, would you have played tackle, guard, or center? And would you have battled Seth? Well, let me tell you this. Uh, I don't have the courage. First of all, I, I'm, I'm a lot better, smarter today how to pick out a position. Uh, listen, I'm going to play linebacker or tight end. My um, one day I played football, they put me on the defensive line, which I told my coach later, that's just bad coaching. Because, you know, the offensive line and the defensive line, to me, that's the toughest position in all of sports. To have to hit somebody full speed every play, number one, is stupid. But it's unbelievable. So I got hit every play. I quit after one day. I said, I'm not doing this stupid shit. Because uh, I remember the last thing the coach said to me. He says, I'll see y'all tomorrow. I said, what? <laughs> I said, you think I'm stupid enough to do this shit tomorrow? I quit football after one day. So to answer your question, I, if, 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 if I could go back in history, like I say, I'm not playing offensive line or defensive line. Give me a chance to play tight end and roam and catch some balls or let me play linebacker, go out hitting people. But I'm not getting near that offensive line or defensive line because them boys are crazy. 
Chuck, I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, it's the first time I ever heard you admit that you're Yo, a coward, man. man. Hey, listen. Hey, Seth, <laughs> think about it, though. The offensive line and the defensive line, they just running each other, each other full speed every play. How crazy is that? Man, every time I see you, you got your hand down the three-point stance talking about how, how you would have ate me up you know, tight hey, listen, end, that's, Tight hey, end hey, is that's even – That's just old fat guy talk. Hey, listen, we all talk about how <laughs> but, good we – like every time I see T.O., he's talking about I could have played in the NBA. Well, first of all, if you could have played in the NBA, you should have played in the NBA. You were a hell of a wide receiver, but you couldn't have played in the NBA for a reason. But, man, I love messing with my football friends because I tell people, Seth, you know this – Football and boxing are my two favorite sports because it takes courage to get out there. Like all these other guys, hey, we all got talent, but for you to step on a football field or step in a boxing ring, that's real, man. That's like real stuff. Mm. Mm. Wow. I, I I never thought I'd hear that, man, because I, I thought, you know, you had always talked about playing the tight end position, you know, but my thing was, okay, when you come across that middle one time and the linebacker sitting back in zone and they break up on you and hit you down around your knees, that's enough to make you cash it in. Well, you know, I, listen, that's a lot better than running to somebody full speed on every play trying to open up holes for the guy making the most money. I mean, I mean, <laughs> hey, they, 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 the running back and the quarterback, they make all the money and the offensive line do all the work. I don't, they, and they only going to pay the left tackle. Uh, that's the thing. They're like, well, we got to protect the, the quarterback's blind side, so we only playing the left tackle. Uh, that's the stupidest shit I ever heard. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth, man. It's, it's, it, it is unbelievable. Hey, listen, man, I got one more question for you. It's I appreciate pleasure, your time. What, you, what, what did you think about the horse competition? I thought it was stupid. Uh, come on. L listen, I know we're desperate for – entertainment but like that was that was, I, I didn't like it uh, I personally I, I don't you know I love ESPN they're our business partners but uh, I, I thought it was much to do about nothing I saw JJ Reddick's like that's gonna be a hard no for me on the on the on the, because first of all they had the worst camera angles you had half the people playing indoor in great gyms and then you got half the people playing outdoor so uh, I I I I thought it was a miss personally. Flop, big time yes, flop. Big huh? time. Wow. Well, listen, my brother. You know what? We could probably do this. You know, for a couple of hours, man. I, it, it's always a pleasure for me to have an opportunity to chop it up with you, man. And I know that your time is precious. I know right now it's like Groundhog Day for you. You know, there ain't a whole lot going on. Well, but um, hey, I'm in Arizona. Let, let's, let's get together and tee it up, brother. You know, being from Alabama, we don't have pro football. So when I first got to Philadelphia, I became an Eagles fan. And I tell people all the time, I bumped into Randall Cunningham a couple months ago at the airport. I think it was Chicago. It was awesome. But thinking about you, Jerome Brown, Reggie White, uh, Andre Waters, Man, you guys made me like football. So I want to personally, and Buddy Ryan, who's still to this day my favorite coach, I just appreciate you guys making me a Philadelphia Eagle fan. No doubt about it, man. Listen, I appreciate that. And I want you to know, man, I know personally 
Your buddy Ryan loved you, man. He talked about you all the time. Yeah, I love, I, I love, but and, I, um, and I miss you know, Reggie. I miss Jerome Brown. Uh, my man, Dirty Waters, Wes Hopkins. Man, that that was fun. I mean, I I, I miss Randall Cunningham and Mike Quick. Man, you brothers made football fun for me. Well, good man. I'm I'm good that you know. I'm glad that you know we were just as much just as entertaining to us. For, we were just entertaining to you as you guys were over in the spectrum to us because we were big fans of the Sixers and what you were doing over there. Listen, man, thanks for your time. I appreciate it, my brother. I look forward to getting with you soon. And, um, you know, all the best to you, Mo, and, um, thanks, and the rest brother. of your family. Man. Y'all be safe. Y'all stay safe. All right, bro. First, we'll take a break for our Saturday Small Business Spotlight. Andrew Beaver and the Beaver Insurance Agency are a small family-run team of insurance agents that make protecting you and your family their number one priority. Specializing in auto, home, and life insurance, the Beaver family has been serving Chester County for over 40 years. Give them a call today to see why thousands of people just like you trust the Beaver family to give them the protection they need at prices they want. Are you in good hands? Call Andrew Beaver today and find out at 610-698-0216 and find them on Facebook or Google. So let's dive into some Eagles talk here. For the, and There's another week and yet another mock draft that came out with another prominent you know, NFL draft pundit uh, putting the, slotting the Eagles to draft another linebacker. This time it was Daniel Jeremiah had the Eagles selecting Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma. Kenneth Murray is a player who I really like. I think he's a little bit more polished. There's a little bit more polish to his game than, than Patrick Queen. But I still have a hard time envisioning the Eagles selecting a linebacker at 21. I still think that's rich. You and I have kind of talked about that. But, you know, having two guys in Todd McShay and Daniel Jeremiah well, I, I think make everybody that, knows make better that pick, than that. what are you thinking? Um, what do you make of that? I, I, I think that the Eagles need to draft a linebacker. I just don't feel like, you know, they value a linebacker enough to pick them early. Listen, 21 is 100% out of the question for a linebacker. They are just not going to spend – that kind of draft capital on a linebacker. They don't see a guy valued like that, you know, and I don't see neither um, Kenneth Murray nor Patrick Queen lasting until probably the third round. That's the earliest that I see them, you know, maybe spending some draft capital if they decide to go that route. Um, I'm just not so sure, you know, the thing I don't like about, mock drafts is you've got so many versions by so many, you know, different guys and you get so much talk leading up to the draft that, you know, these guys Mm -hmm. are fishing for stories and they're fishing for, you know, headlines and they're fishing for breaks. I mean, I respect Daniel Jeremiah, but where in the world does he get this when linebackers haven't been valued since the time that Joe Banner was the, the, the GM of the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I still think – I think even the third round might be a little rich for the linebacker position. There's some late-round guys that I like, but they definitely, like we've been saying, they definitely need to address the position because there's only a few guys at that in that slot. Well, I don't think and they three can't, is, they obviously is, can't go into is training camp rich. with that I with think that it's, a, it's an area of need. I mean, you've got one and two, and if Howie gets creative and opens up some other – you know, gains some more draft capital – you know, then to me, that's not too rich with eight picks, you know, maybe, but maybe not. But I think linebacker is just as much of a need as wide receiver because you don't have any proven playmakers there. Now, do the, the question is, do the Philadelphia Eagles see that need, you know, and is that rich enough? Because I believe wasn't Michael Kendricks. I believe it was either Michael. M- Michael Kendricks was a third round pick. 
you know. So yes. Well, so I mean, so the so it's been actually he was a, he was a track a record rounder, that think. you know that they do see it that way. The question is, will they do that? Because by the time they pick Michael Kendricks, listen, they already they had firepower on the on the offensive side of the ball. You know, wide receiver. You know, they could have used an upgrade, but it wasn't really a, a need like they have right now. Um, so I don't think three is too rich. I just think, you know, it may be too rich for some of the guys that may fall to them. Hey, Seth, we got Frank on the line with a question for you. Frank, you're on the Seth Joyner podcast. Um, so my question is, in Schwartz's scheme, ideally you'd want a man-cover quarter cornerback with uh, some hip, like hip uh, fluidity, just so with the pass rush – man cover corners give more time for the rushers to get um, to the quarterback instead of having a zone scheme where they're off. They could do the short dink and dunk. Is that, is that something you agree with? Something a little bit different? Well, I think that, you know, every cornerback, in my opinion, has to have fluid hips. You know, if he doesn't, you know, he can't, he can't recover. I'm not so sure that I really understand or really know what it is that Jim Schwartz wants to do. Because there's been periods of times where he's been really aggressive with the with the cornerbacks up, and there's been times, you know, where he's played off. And to make me wonder, you know, why are you playing guys seven yards off the ball, giving up the quick slant and the quick out? Um, so I'm not sure. I, I I get the feeling that he's building the defensive line in a way where he can get pressure. And if you're going to do that, you certainly have to get up, you know, and and play that way. Darius Slay is definitely a guy that's going to play like that. Whoever you know, the number two guy is on the other side. That's the question that has to be answered. You know, are we going in the draft and getting that guy? Do you feel like, you know, do we feel like we have that guy already on the roster and through the process of competition, we figure that out. I feel like, you know, the uh, more pressure that we're able to get up front, the better it's going to be for the guys on the back because of the less amount of time that they have to actually cover. Um, If you compound that by you know, having great cornerbacks on the back end. And we've already addressed that on one side. Hopefully, you know, either through the draft or through, you know, improved technique and skills, um, you know, with a new DB coach this year, we can improve that with the guys that we already have on the other side. Then, yes, um, you know, you get the best of both worlds. Um, but but I, I think Jim Schwartz wants to be a little more aggressive. And that means you're going to have to have corners to get up, you know, and challenge wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. Hey, man, I appreciate the call. Thanks for the questions. There's some potential trade-up candidates that I would, if I'm the Eagles, if they fall within a certain range, I'd be willing to move up for. You know how cornerbacks tend to come off the board fairly fast. And, you know, once you start to see uh, one cornerback come off the board, then there tends to be a run. And it pushes some talent down. You know, that being said, there's certain guys who could certainly be within that, you know, 16, 17 range, such as uh, defensive tackles. You're buying Kinlaw from South Carolina, who's a hellraiser in the middle of the defensive line. Some actually think he's better than Derek Brown from Auburn. Do you see any potential trade up candidates? Hey, listen, I've been talking to people about this for the longest. The only reason that you're going to trade up in this draft is for um, Jerry Judy. Henry Ruggs, okay, or C.D. Lamb. Other than that, that's just my opinion. I don't see them trading up for anybody else in this draft. I mean, it's a pressing need. It's a pressing need because you have an agent that's on Jackson. You got an agent 
Alshon Jeffrey if he still winds up on the roster. If he if he doesn't, you don't have any other experience on the roster. So you're almost forced to do that. The only way that I see them move up is they say, you know, we've got to have one of those top three guys. And, f- and for me, that's the only reason that you move up. You know, it, maybe you even move back and get some more draft capital. You know, unless if you see some guys at the back end that you say, okay, you know, these guys may be there, be there in the second round if we move off of, you know, the 21st pick. But for me, this draft is all about the wide receiver, and the Eagles have to get a wide receiver, in my right. opinion. Talking, moving over to some NFL roundup talk, and this is something that you and I have been talking about for the past few weeks, and I, I sent you a tweet when it happened. You know, leave it to Bill O'Brien to, you know, you to take it – to give away draft capital on a potentially historic wide receiver class, giving up a second round pick to uh, for Brandon Cooks <laughs> and inheriting his 80, well, $81 million you know, contract. I was watching the other day, Stephen A. said, you know, Bill O'Brien, the GM, needs to be fired. I, I don't agree with a whole lot of things that Stephen A. says, but I agree I agree with him on that. Um, I mean, your team, this, this, this wide receiver hmm. core for a young quarterback has just been decimated. You know, you take away five receivers and you bring in a guy like Brandon Cook. I was absolutely shocked to see that they made that trade and what they actually gave up in draft capital to to get it. I mean, if you look at if you look at what Bill O'Brien has given away in the Larry Tunsil trade, you know, in the um, you know letting um, Jadavian Clowney walk away in that trade, basically without getting any any kind of draft capital back in return for it. Um, DeAndre Hopkins walking away with little. I mean, how can the ownership of the Houston Texans sit back and watch this and be okay with this? It's just a decimated receiving core. Now look at now you're looking at it with Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, and Kenny Stills as the top four receivers. What do all those guys have? And they're in all number they're all two. A little bit undersized. That football have team doesn't have history. They, they don't. They they're all twos or threes. They don't have a go to guy right <laughs> yeah, now. It's like for Deshaun Watson, who is he going to go to in crunch time? The one guy that he trusted the most in DeAndre Hopkins, he knew where that guy was going to be, and he knew that 90% of the time when he that ball went in his direction, that that guy was going to make the, make the catch. Who is that guy now? Who is that guy? You know, Will Fuller, you know, is a game changer. But the problem is he's always hurt. Always hurt. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Soft you know, tissue moving injuries, on, man. Always Christian McCaffrey signed a new four-year, $64 million extension, making him the highest paid running back in the NFL. Your thoughts about that? He's certainly deserving of it. When you look at the season he's had and, and his durability over time, he he, he pretty much the, – the offense typically runs through Christian McCaffrey. There hasn't been a ton there for, for Cam and Christian to really work with. He can do it all. He can run between the tackles. He can bounce it outside. He has some of the best hands of any running back in the league today. And he, he's a threat to score anytime he touches the football. So I think that's money well, well spent. No, and he set the, no doubt about he it. Set a, he set the My bar fairly high. My only concern is buyer's remorse. I mean, you look at some of these running backs that have got gotten big money, like Todd Gurley, and all of a sudden, you know, he's injured. You know, the the Rams hold on for an extra year longer than they probably wanted to, and then they move on. I hope that that's not the case with this kid. 
Yeah, you know, and it's a position of wear and tear. And you see, you know, you see guys that there's such a quick fall from grace, like the Todd Gurley's of the world and the Vontae Freeman. There's no doubt and you about just it. Hope that, Gil you know, Brent's like top 150. Justin Herbert um, has him, you know, Gil Brent has Justin Herbert um, ranked above Tua. Yeah, you know, with the draft a week away, the next show we're going to be getting into a lot of this, uh, a lot of draft talk. But, you know, Tua, in my opinion, uh, is the best quarterback in this draft. I'm not exactly sure where this Justin Herbert over Tua, I don't know what he's basing it off of, but Tua, if you've seen any of the videos that are out there, he's fully rookie. He looks, he looks fantastic coming back from the hip injury. And, and he's just more, he's played in big games. He's, he's a fluid mover in the pocket. He sees the field well. He works through his progressions and all those wonderful things you want to see from a franchise quarterback. With Justin Herbert, the potential is there, but it, like we said, it's potential. We don't know what he can do. He's a little bit raw. There's certain things, there's certain areas of his game, such as accuracy, accuracy concerns, that it kind of well, makes you know, teams my a little hesitant is, to select him at the top. Um, top, you know, top guys get hurt all the time, and I have a real problem with you know these draft gurus that kind of slam some of these guys for coming out of college and being injured. You know, it affects their draft position. It affects their draft stock. You know, and you have this continued clamoring about you know these guys and their injuries. You know, every player is going to get injured. If he hadn't gotten injured in college, he's going to get injured in the NFL. I thought the draft was more about your potential over the long haul than it is your current injury issues. Well, all good, my man. You know, as usual, um, great show today. Looking forward to next week. Thank you, my friend Charles Barkley. Um, You know, I want to congratulate, you know, the Beaver Insurance Company, you know, for... Um, You know, winning our Saturday small business challenge. And I want to invite you guys to be back next week, same place, same time. Um, As we preview the draft, we get more into the draft next week. Um, For me, Seth Joyner, my co-host, Andrew DiCecco, I want to thank you for listening. Tune in next week for the Seth Joyner podcast. We'll be right here, keeping it raw, keeping it real. Peace out, Philadelphia. You guys be safe out there. Blessings and well wishes.